Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. This is our final Sunday in 2018. And today's conversation is called The Micro and the Macrocosm of Christmas. The question for you to get started with today is, what's your favorite part of the Christmas story? Enjoy. This entire year we've been in the Gospel of Luke and we've been trying to reclaim some things. Because if you come to a church like New Abbey, you're probably in two certain specific places in life. Either you're deconstructing some things, you're letting some things go and you're saying, no, that no longer works for me and I don't know what I believe anymore. I'm comfortable with doubts and there's just a bigger world out there and what do I do with these things? And for some of you, you've gone through this process of deconstruction and now you're reconstructing some things. You're picking some stuff up. You're saying, I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater, and I still want to participate in this life with God and in this faith community. And wherever you're at in those things, it's still a process of reclaiming. And so today we're going to reclaim Christmas, and we're going to reclaim the reality that somehow each of our stories are a part of the larger Christmas story, and that the larger Christmas story is a part of our story that there is a microcosm that fits into the macrocosm and a macrocosm that fits in to the microcosm. So if we're going to reclaim Christmas, we got to do some things. We got to talk about holding God. We need to talk about the microcosm. We got to talk about your complexity. And then we got to talk about your journey. And then we got to talk about how we move from a cup to a table. Then if we can do that, then we can talk about the macrocosm. And then we talk about our complexity, and then we can talk about our journey, and then, as anybody would do, we'll end with a story about the UK Postal Service. It makes sense. So there is a Franciscan priest named Richard Rohr, as some of you may know, and I am in a cohort with Father Rohr, and in this cohort, we are going through contemplative practices, and uh, a couple years ago, my first time that I, I was really with Richard Rohr and this group of people in New Mexico, uh, this woman was sharing her experience around contemplative practices, around more meditative prayer and what this process was like for her. And there was another teacher on stage, and his name is Jim Finley. And this young woman, who's a mother of two people, had her kids there. One is like three years old, and the other is like 18 months old, and she's still breastfeeding the younger child. And she's saying to this contemplative teacher, Jim Finley, where is the saint that represents the single moms in this world? Right? We have all of these other saints who look holy and they have all of these time for these meditative practices, but where is the church icon? Where is the art? Where is the saint for the mom who's got the laptop out, two cups of coffee, a baby holding her leg, and somebody else screaming in the other room? I need some of those saints, my friends. And she says, I want to do this contemplative thing. I want to do a little bit of this meditative life. I'm interested in moving forward somehow in this depth with God. But how is this thing actually going to work for me? Because this entire time that I've been in New Mexico, I'm trying to pump and dump in the bathroom, right? I'm trying to keep my kids happy. And so where is there space for me to meet God? And Jim Finley, who most of you probably do not know, looks like Yoda. (laughs) 
He's got the biggest, bushiest eyebrows you've ever seen and this kind of like thicker hair and he talks very slow as if he is meditating while he speaks. <laughs> and he says to this young woman who has just shared all of this in front of us in panic, very calmly to her, you be you, let me be God and let's have a conversation. Okay, this is gonna be interesting. <laughs> and he says to her, I know how much you want to be in relationship with me. I know that you want to wake up every morning, but your kids wake up before you. I know that you long to and desire to be with me. And so what I do every morning is I wake your kids up at 5 a.m. and my spirit fills them because I just wanna know what it's like to be held by you. Oh. <laughs> Okay, Jim Finley, very nice. And that's part of the magic of Christmas. Part of the magic of Christmas is that for thousands of years, for millennia, human beings, spiritual seekers, religious priests, you name it, have looked to the heavens to find God. But part of the magic of Christmas, part of the magic of the story of Mary is that human beings, we no longer have to look outward to find God, but for Mary and for each of us, it's just a reminder that we look down into the image of God. That we no longer have to search and cry out to the heavens, but that within each and every one of us, that God is somehow already there. And that's the magic of what we celebrate, that God is already birthing something new within our lives. And so the microcosm of Christmas for each and every one of us is this reality of incarnation. If you don't know what incarnation is, it's just this big fancy word for the fullness of God and the fullness of humanity. And what we believe about Jesus is that Jesus shows us the very best of what it means to be human and the very fullness of who God is. And that it is at that intersection in which we are truly alive as human beings. That sometimes people put too much emphasis on the humanity side of Jesus, right? Jesus is only my homeboy. Right? And then on the other side, you have people who speak in such lofty ways about God that God is so distant and you can't touch and you can't taste and you can't see. And the beauty of Jesus is that the infinite one, the one who breathes a hundred billion galaxies into existence can also be taste and found and seen and known. And it's somewhere in between that intersection is what we really long for as human beings. We long for God to be fully within each of us and we all long to be elevated somehow to the divine to be connected to something far beyond ourselves, into a greater perspective and into a greater reality. And so the microcosm for each of us is where we start. And the microcosm is simply our narrative and our story, trusting that what is interesting about the scriptures, what is interesting about the nativity story is not that 2000 years ago, a Palestinian boy was born into a barn. What is interesting about the nativity stories is that if God could come to earth and be born 2000 years ago, then it's the reality that God can continue to be birthing in us today. That's the magic of Christmas. And so we take these powerful nativity narratives from thousands of years ago, and we begin to look deep within each of ourselves to say, where is God birthing something new? How has God already been birthing something within me? within my microcosm and within my story. And so to explore that a little bit more, let's look at the gospel of Luke. Luke says this, at that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that their census should be taken throughout the Roman empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. 
all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, his fiancee, who was now obviously pregnant. I just love that little bit line there, right? (laughs) She was popping. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. What you got to know about the Gospel of Luke so far to this point is that the Gospel of Luke is always about the journey. And it's very different than the nativity stories of the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew is more written for Jews who've just found that they have this other faith in this Christ, this Messiah, Jesus. And so even in the Matthew stories of Jesus's birth, it is magi who come, right, and proclaim the birth of Jesus. That Mary is not rushing off to some other town, but they are already there and they are comfortable and ready for this birth, but not Luke. Luke is written to an entirely different faith community than the community of Matthew. The faith community of Luke are these people who are unsure. They are outcasts. They don't have a place in this Roman empire. Sounds like some people in this room. They're asking some bigger questions. They don't quite fit with Judaism. They don't quite fit with whatever's next. They're figuring out who are we and where are we going? What is our faith? What is our story in this larger faith narrative? And so Luke, from beginning to end, it starts with these stories of people moving on a road. They are journeying somewhere. And that's the narrative for our own lives. None of us are stagnant. None of us were born into a vacuum. That we're all on a journey somewhere. The stories of Luke start with Jesus being born on the road. And then Luke is the only gospel where you even see Jesus somehow as a teenager, right? Jesus in a temple. And then eventually the rest of the gospel of Luke is Jesus journeying back to Jerusalem. And it's a way of saying to human beings, You're always on a journey. Give a little grace to yourselves. Something new is going to be birthed within you, and then that thing too will have to grow up. Because whatever is birthed, it will take time to evolve, and it will take time to develop. So if you are here in point A, and you are longing to get to point Z, just know that there will be some B through Y, my friends. And be gracious to yourself in that reality. And so Luke sets this up for us as we see Mary and Joseph in the 11th hour waiting to find a place to stay. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her first child, a son, and she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people, the savior. Yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign and you will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. So the Gospel of Luke is about this journey. It is about these people who are on a road trying to figure out what's next in their faith. And so there's some context that's important for us here. Again, in the Gospel of Matthew, you have these magi. You have these like royal figures coming to proclaim that there's this Jewish Messiah coming. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke is trying to tell a much more universal story. Luke is trying to tell a story of not only is Jesus going to be this Messiah, this King of the Jews, but this Jesus will be Lord, will be Son of God over everything. 
And what we have to know is that in the Gospel of Luke, that Caesar Augustus, before Jesus ever came into the world, already proclaimed himself the Son of God. That Caesar Augustus, before Jesus ever came into the world, already proclaimed himself Lord of Lords and King of Kings. That Caesar Augustus, before Jesus ever stepped foot into the world, already proclaimed a gospel, a good news. And it was that Caesar Augustus will bring peace to the world. So when you read these stories in Luke, it is the Bible saying there is another Caesar coming. There is another kind of Lord and another kind of King of Kings who brings a different kind of peace and this good news will transform people's lives. And it's not the kind that Caesar brings where we kill people, right? And we use power and oppression to get what we want. In this kind of kingdom, there is an internal journey that takes place of transformation. And in this kind of kingdom, there is complexity in each of our narratives. And so in this Luke story, there's no grand palace. There is no magi coming and offering frankincense, gold, and myrrh, whatever myrrh is. <laughs> in this story, it's a teenage girl giving birth to the Son of God in a manger. And if you've ever seen a birth before, it's quite messy. Now imagine giving birth with animals all around you. That's the picture that's trying to paint. The complexity of the story is saying there was already complexities in the story of God being birthed into the world. And so if the Bible is eternally true, which means it's true in each generation, then what are the complexities that are true in your life still today? And can you name those things? That if Mary, the one who bore God into the world, had complexities, imagine that you'll have complexities as well. And that we need to own some of these realities. And that the people that are hearing the proclamation of the divine coming to offer salvation for all of creation, not just a select few who said the prayers and got baptized and did the altar call, my friends, right? But all people will hear this good news. That it was the shepherds who heard this narrative. And the context of the shepherds is incredibly helpful if we're going to think about the own complexities of our own lives. Shepherds were pretty much the chronically homeless of the ancient world, Right? They weren't the people who had good jobs. They were the people that most people didn't want to be around. And there's a good old saying out there, more sheep, more shit, my friends. So the shepherds were covered in crap and they smelled. And that's part of the messiness of the story. But we live in a world that we want to clean up the complexities of Christmas because that's not how we want to engage God. And yet it seems that all of the stories are saying, no, we want to engage the messiness and the complexity of your life. We want to engage all of the crap. We want to engage all of the mess. And that if the shepherds could get a proclamation from the angels in heaven, then it's this way of saying, then all people may hear this message as well. That maybe all people could experience this new birthing of God in their life. And so where we begin this morning is this. What are the complexities in your life that you need to own? Sometimes we avoid our own complexities. I know that for the family that I grew up in and the pain that I experienced in kind of an abusively emotional home, that I avoided all of the complexities of my life and I became a sex addict. And so I avoided the complexities of my home by numbing myself because the best way to not deal with the mess is to be numb. Because when you numb, it's just like Novocaine. You won't feel anything, but you also won't taste anything either. And for some of you in this room, you have massive complexities going on. There are messes in your life. There are things that are just seem too big and overbearing to deal with. 
And the power of the Christmas nativity story is this, embrace and name those complexities. Embrace and name the mess that you have going on. That only when we can call out the fact that we don't have it all figured out, that we are like the shepherds or a young teenage girl who are terrified in this moment, who've got a ton of stuff and mess and complexity in our lives, then we'll find freedom on this journey and whatever God has ahead of us in transformation and maturity. Not all complexity needs to be negative. Some of the complexities of our lives are the fact that we're human beings. And then in some aspects of our minds and within our hearts and within our souls, there's joy and there's beauty and there's like puppy dogs and ice cream floating around, right? And in other parts of our narrative, there's pain and there's hurt and there's wounding and we hold all of that at the same time. And that's the real truth of a Christmas story. That if something is being birthed into the world, it's gonna be hard, it's gonna be difficult. It's gonna take some energy and it's gonna take some time. A baby's coming, by the way, right? That's a beautiful thing. But there's a lot of other stuff that needs to take place. So where in your life is there complexity that you need to name and own this Christmas season? And then if we can name your complexity, then can we also trust ourselves and God on the journey? The power of the shepherds and the power of Mary is that they just owned what was going on. If you've ever been told by an angel that you're pregnant and that you didn't have sex before, that's a powerful thing to hold. And you're going to have to trust some people in that. You're going to have to trust yourself in that. You're going to have to trust, am I crazy? Right? Did I smoke the reefer again with the whoever? Like, whatever's going on. If you're the shepherds, you have to ask yourself, we're the lowest of the low. We smell like sheep crap, right? And the angels came and proclaimed something to us. Have you ever been in a place where you've experienced something amazing and then as a few days go on, you're like, ah, maybe that wasn't really for me. Have you ever, right, got that job or been in that relationship and you finally got the thing that you wanted and then all of a sudden you're second guessing yourself. Maybe I'm not good enough for this thing. Maybe I'm not worthy for this thing. Maybe no one's really interested in me. And all the second guessing and all the doubt and all the questions come running back again. The nativity story is saying, perfect. That's exactly where you're supposed to be. Own the complexity of that reality and then trust in yourself. Beginning to trust in yourself and eventually trusting in God in this reality will allow you to move forward. And it's only in this place that if we can honor our complexities, if we can trust ourselves, if we can trust God in our narratives, will we ever be able to do greater work in the world? If we cannot love ourselves, if we cannot see Christ within ourselves, if we cannot trust that God is birthing something new within us, how will we ever be able to trust that God could be birthing something new in others around us? And to take this as far as the gospel always does, how could we trust that God could even be birthing something new within our enemies? amidst those who've hurt us the most and wounded us the most and given us the most pain. So we began with our own narrative and then we got to open this thing up a little bit. So I believe that most of us are in this room because we've been given a very specific story of who God is. And this story has always fit into a cup. And this is who God is and this is how God works and this is what you do at church and these are the things that you believe and make sure you say the right creed and do Awanas and get all of the stars and all of the other things. And then most of you, went to college, or read a book, or like, I don't know, listened to a podcast. And you're like, I just don't think that any, many animals could fit into an ark. I don't know how to tell you this, right? I don't know. Or 
I think the earth's more than 5,000 years old. Call me crazy. <laughs> or in very serious ways, I know Paul. I know Marx. You're telling me that gay is being a sin? Because I see fruit being buried in their life every single day. I see love and I see kindness and I see gentleness and I see beauty. And you're trying to tell me a story of scripture that is oppressive and is small and that can only fit within this cup. But I say no to that narrative, my friends. And then what most of us have done is that we've taken away the cup and that for years, right, we told ourselves, I guess there's nothing else for me. I guess I'm supposed to be like atheist or agnostic or like just spiritual in LA, but there's no faith community that works. And you took the cup away and what you finally realized is there was a table holding the cup the entire time. That where you were limited to your own story, where you were limited to your own perspective, that when you took the thing away, the thing didn't get smaller. There was already a bigger narrative already holding that thing up. And that in each season of your life, as something new is birthed into your complexities, as something new is birthed into your journey, as you trust yourself and trust God along that path, as you go and see a bigger narrative, that these things will keep cycling. And eventually you'll get to the place and you'll say, the table's not big enough. And you'll take the table away and you'll say, there's been a fucking room here the entire time. Are you kidding me? I don't know why I'm cussing, but I just felt like it. <laughs> because that's been my narrative. That's not been my narrative ideologically or theologically or because I read enough books. That's been my narrative because I've met enough different kinds of human beings to say, no God's story could fit in this. To say, no God's story could be limited to this. To say, no tradition in and of itself contains the entire narrative of God. What we know about the universe is that it is moving at 70,000 kilometers an hour outward from the center of the universe and it's getting faster. In a room is going to contain God? In a creed is going to contain God? No. Those traditions and those scriptures were never God in and of themselves. They were just pointing to God. They were pointing you to a bigger reality and to your experience. The table gets bigger, my friends. And if we're really allowing something new to be birthed in us every year, then the narrative will keep getting bigger and keep getting bigger. And we shouldn't be afraid of that. As I say in here all of the time, it's not that God didn't know about Google or Tesla or Neanderthals. It's that we didn't know. But this God's already ahead. And the birth story is that reality. So we move from the gospel of Luke to our own specific complexities and to our own journeys. And I love where the gospel of John takes us to the biggest narrative of all. John 1 goes like this. In the beginning, the word already existed. And the word was with God and the word was God. And he existed in the beginning with God. And God created everything through him. And nothing was created except through him. And the word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness can never extinguish it. This is the narrative that we move to. Everything has already been held by God. Everything. All of the cosmos moving at 70,000 kilometers. Kilometers? <laughs> kilometers outward. Each of our unique stories and narratives and complexities, all of the history and the past and things that none of us could reconcile on our own and everything moving forward, everything was already created by God. Everything has already been held by God. And that what we trust in the microcosm of the story is that we don't have to go searching for God, that God has already come to us and that we only need to look inside. 
But as we look inside and as this narrative begins to expand, then we look back out and we realize, if I have complexities, if I have these messes, if I have these things that I'm figuring out on the journey, then could it be true that the people around me do as well? How does that change the way that I'm gracious to them? How does it change the way that I'm gracious to what God is birthing in each of our lives? And there's a reason that the gospels are not written to individuals. They are written to faith communities. So that in this room, you can already say, if I have complexities, then I know you have complexities. And I know you have complexities. And I knew you, I felt like Ellen right now or Oprah, right? Yeah. (laughs) And you get a school and you get it. No, okay. No one felt that one except me. Great. Everybody gets humpback whales. No, okay. Nobody? Nobody? I'm the only one. Felt like I was giving away some stuff there and completely sidetracked myself from where I was going. Thank you so much for that. (laughs) Thank you so much. Gracious. Wow, that was was something special. I truly believe that about this room, though, that it's our complexities. We experience it every week here, not just in Sundays, but in the way that you're developing relationships and moving on the journey with one another. I see it every week as you hold hands with one another, with somebody who's different than you. That that person to your right or to your left, as we say, it maybe is not male or female or gay or straight or black or white or poor or rich. And even those are binary categories that don't hold all of us. That every week we come in here and try to own the complexities that make each of us who we are and to say, and then this is who we are as a community, God. We own these things together. Trusting that you're not only birthing something within each of us individually, but that you're birthing something in us corporately. And that we're better together than we are apart. That I need your narratives and that you need mine. That we need the diversity of the human story so that we can trust that God is reconciling all things. And that if we can begin to trust God in each of our individual stories, then can we begin to trust God in the stories of people around us? And then what's beautiful about that is in the moments where you cannot trust on your own, in the moments where you can't hold it all together, would you trust that the people who held the hands around you before might hold up some of that story for you now? And so the fullness of the Christmas story is that God is being birthed into the microcosm of our own narratives and that God is being birthed constantly into the macrocosm of the narratives of the universe around us. And so, a little boy in the United Kingdom, my friends. <laughs> a couple weeks ago, a young boy sent a letter to his father in heaven because his da- dad had died when he was seven years old. And he sends the letter off and he gets a reply back from Her Majesty's Royal Mail. And the letter says this, Dear Jace, While we've been delivering your post, we became aware of some concerns. So I just wanted to take this opportunity to contact you about how we succeeded in the delivery of your letter to your dad in heaven. This was a difficult challenge, avoiding stars and other galactic objects en route to heaven. Appreciate the honesty there. (laughs) However, please be assured that this particular important item of mail has been delivered. Royal Mail's priority is to get our customers' mail delivered safely. I know how important your mail is to you, and I will continue to do all I can to ensure delivery to heaven safely, the Royal Mail Assistant. And this story went viral last week, but for me, it represents the beauty of what I see in incarnation, that all of us are looking to the heavens for something more. All of us are looking to the heavens for answers that are bigger than ourselves. 
why dads die, why people get sick, right? Why we have certain pains, the troubles, the messes, we call that thing sin, whatever it may be. We all have our complexities. We all have our pains. We all have our hurts. And we all want something else bigger than us to be there. And yet part of the story is this, that some of the magic of what happens doesn't happen in heaven. It happens in the mess here. It happens because of the compassion and the kindness and the goodness of somebody who read a little letter from a little boy. And he said, I'm gonna respond and change someone's life. And how do we trust in that reality in our lives that God is birthing something new within you this year? And I don't know what that thing is. I don't, can't answer the complexities in the journey of your life, but each of us have to look to those things and say, God, can we trust that you are here with us? And that if you are here with us in our narratives, then we trust God that you are constantly birthing something new into the universal narrative of this entire world. I have a question for you all to think about as we finish up. And it's this, what part of your story can you reclaim this Christmas? It's a big question. And as you think about that, They're gonna play a song and then we'll come back together and we'll have some conversations. God of creation There at the start Before the beginning of time With no point of reference You spoke to the dark And fleshed out the wonder of light you speak a hundred billion galaxies are born in the vapor of your breath the planets formed if the stars were made to worship so Star, a signal fire of grace. If creation sings your praises, so Still 
Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.